Yo, 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 is this for real? Is this the return of the Rambling Brews podcast? You're goddamn right it is. You can hear me smiling through the microphone. I'm so happy to finally again get to say welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this, the Rambling Brews podcast. I have no idea what episode number this is. It's been four or five, feels like six months since the last time I dropped an episode. I think it was October. I had my buddy Jeff on. We were talking pucks and how he got into hockey and everything, and everybody really enjoyed that episode. And they were asking me, like, yo, what the hell, Tim? Like, you were uh, going in and out, having episodes, taking breaks off here and there, coming back with other episodes. And, you know, it was really odd because right in the middle of uh, hockey season, I mean, I had done episodes all summer. Um, you know, all the way up to the, to the start of hockey season, pretty much did a hockey season preview and then kind of just stopped doing the podcast. And it's kind of a funny story. Um, you know, and, and a weird story as well. Some of you might think so, you know, I, I kind of go through these spurts, um, in life where, you know, you just, you're not sure, um, if you're doing what you're doing, like what you want to be doing, you know what I'm saying? So I, I really enjoy doing the podcasts, but we had the second child, my son Emmett. Um, he's the man, he's growing up fast as hell. It's pretty crazy. But, um, you know, uh, it, it became a lot more hectic right at the house. And, you know, it was just like not a lot of time. We were tired. And on top of that, uh, my friends and I decided that we were going to start a GM connected like online Madden franchise. So for you video game players out there, you basically take, um, you know, any team in the NFL and Madden and you pick that team. So there was six of us, I think seven of us at one point. And we started this league and uh, we picked, you know, certain teams in the same conference, same division. So we'd have some user games and matchups and stuff like that. And I know non-video game listeners are probably thinking this is nerdy as hell, but it's it's pretty awesome. Honestly, it's like a fantasy draft. So if you play fantasy football at all, it's very similar to that. But you have to play the games and you run the franchise. You make the contract extensions. You sign guys, you trade guys, you cut guys. You have to manage the salary cap. So it's pretty Pretty cool. Again, sounds nerdy, but it's pretty fun. And honest to God, man, we just played the living shit out of this game. I mean, it was at the point where like I wasn't even seeing my wife Sarah. Like I would put the kids to bed with her, and then I'd go straight downstairs to play Madden. Um, I'd have to make sure I'd be like getting nervous that I wasn't getting my Madden game in because everybody else was playing their games. I mean, everybody in the league was just going crazy with this. It was just stupid. I mean, I was playing my Madden games on my lunch break instead of eating lunch. Um, just ridiculous stuff. And oh my God, I haven't podcasted for so long. I forgot the most important thing. I have an abundance of beer in front of me right now. I'll get back to the Madden story in a second. I have an abundance of beer in front of me right now. Um, I got Coors Lights, obviously, Silver Bullets, number one beer. I also have what my buddy Troy left here the other night when we were watching WrestleMania. So shout to him. Uh, Bud Light Next, it looks like. Never heard of it until he brought it over. Haven't tasted it. Um, it's zero carbs, super crisp, light beer. It says on the can, it's a light beer with natural flavors and fruit juice for color. I don't know if that's normal uh, for beers. I have no idea. It's 4% alcohol, so it's a lightweight. But apparently, it's going to keep the pounds off. Uh, so I'm going to actually crack this right now. I'm going to taste this first so I don't have any other beer taste on my palate. And I'm going to see if I like this. Uh, again, my buddy Troy brought this over. So shout to him. Let me crack this real quick. Smells not great. Oh, all right. I mean, it tastes like a no carb drink for sure, like a real super light. It's not bad. It actually kind of has like a real fruity taste to it. I, I mean, I guess it's the fruit juice, obviously, but it just seems like I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not so sure about this. If I, <laughs> I don't even know if I should rate this. If this is even considered beer. But if I had to give it a score on the morale meter, remember, 
uh, zero to five stars. I'd probably go like 2.8 with this. Let me take another sip, but yeah, that, that sounds about right. Oh man, I don't know about that, Troy. <laughs> but I guess if you're trying to keep the weight off and stuff, you're trying to, you know, as we're getting older, I should definitely be doing the same thing. Um, you know, doing these podcasts and stuff too. If I'm going to keep crushing these beers while I'm talking to you guys, uh, I'm going to have to maybe mix in a, uh, a lighter option. I know Coors Light, everybody laughs about it and says it's the lightest option in the world, but there are some lighter beers in terms of how it impacts your body. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be a Bud Light next. I think that's what it's called, but I do appreciate Troy leaving him at my house. What a guy. Uh, throughout the podcast, I'll probably crack some more. I'm sure I actually have a victory sour monkey uh, sour triple nine and a half percent alcohol. So I'm recording this on a Monday night, so I probably should stay away from that one at nine and a half percent. So I'll probably just be cracking the Coors Light, but I'll power through this Bud Light next uh, as we keep going here. But back to the story, honestly. So we were playing this Madden game constantly, and like I said, I was barely seeing my wife. You know, I was um, working or with the kids all day, like having a blast with the family, and then just trying to get my games in. And I just honestly, I didn't feel like I had time, and I kind of lost interest in the podcast and I was watching the Penguins games every you know every time they're on and trying to watch all the NHL games and you know like I honestly found myself losing a little bit of interest in just watching random NHL games and that started to concern me a little bit and I was like you know what I got to power off of this uh this Madden league so I, I started to back out and some of the buddies started to back out it just became too much we played the hell out of the game it didn't it wasn't fun anymore um probably how a lot of my friends feel about playing NHL we used to play the shit out of that game but that's really almost the original uh, or I, I guess the real reason that I stopped doing the podcast so much is I just I was playing Madden. I was watching you know the Penguins. I was hanging out with um, you know family, working during the day and stuff. So at night I didn't really feel like I wanted to put in the time that it takes to prep for the podcast, to do the podcast, to edit the podcast. Uh, I've been looking if there's anybody out there that has any interest in potentially like helping me produce the podcast. Um, you know, can listen in while I'm recording, could even chime in while we're recording or we can do, you know, I would, I'd be open to co-hosts, things like that. I'm, I'm open to anything. I'm just kind of trying to explore right now to see what the best approach is and still trying to have fun with it. That's the most important thing, right? It's not fun if you just, you know, feel like you have to do it. Um, you know, I, I really just enjoy doing this because I like talking sports. I like talking hockey. I like talking wrestling. Uh, we're going to get into all that today. I cannot wait for it. Um, so I just wanted to get that out there and just let you guys know, you know, like, that's pretty much where my head was at. So I apologize to people that have been wanting the podcast to come out. I know I've been flaky with it. You know, a podcast here, a couple of weeks off, podcast here, a couple of months off. I'm coming back. I haven't yet decided on how often the podcast is going to come out. But with the NHL playoffs approaching, I think the Penguins have 12 games left. So there's probably between 12 and 15 games left for each team in the NHL. I think May 3rd or May 4th is when the NHL playoffs start. Cannot wait. Uh, so we're going to have a hell of a lot of content coming out of the Rambling Brews podcast. Uh, coming up here in the next few weeks and then throughout the summer. And, and, and uh, you know, it's going to be awesome. We're going to make some changes to the podcast, the format, like I was just talking about before. So anybody out there is interested in contributing, wants to come on the podcast, I'm open to having anybody on the podcast. My wife, Sarah, might even join the podcast a little bit. Um, we'll see how that goes, if she if she wants to do it or not. We've talked about it a little bit, but um, 
you know, I'm open to talking to anybody and any ideas and things like that. So I uh, really just kind of want to give you guys what you want and, um, you know, have everybody enjoy the podcast. You know, as much as I like doing it, I want everybody to enjoy listening to it as well. So it really does uh, feel good to have people reaching out and saying, you know what, we, you need to bring the podcast back. I'd love for you to break down the NHL trade deadline. I'd love for you to break down, you know, this game, that game, this call, those hits, you know, wherever the case is. So uh, my wish is your commander. I'm sorry, your wish is my command, I should say. And uh, I'm going to go through all that stuff starting today, and I'm just happy to be back. I'm going to take a swig of this Bud Light next, unfortunately. I'm going to have to crack a core soon. But like I said in the intro there, I want to get right into the NHL trade deadline recap. I know it's been a, a couple of weeks since the NHL trade deadline. There was a lot of movement in the NHL. This had to be the, one of the busiest NHL trade deadlines that I can remember. At least as far as, you know, I've been closely following hockey, you know, over the last 25 years or so. Like, I know when I was a kid, you know, there was, um, you know, no salary cap and stuff like that. So there was a ton of movement um, and things like that. So it's been a little bit more um, tough, I guess, to make moves in recent years. But, you know, teams find a way to squeeze the cap in. And we'll talk about that a little bit with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, what they're doing this year, similar to what the Tampa Bay Lightning did last year. And maybe, just maybe... Uh, bending the rules a little bit to circumvent the cap. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I kind of wanted to just go through some of the big trades uh, that really caught my eye and kind of just go through each division, the top teams. I'm just going to talk about the playoff teams. I'm not too worried about going through draft picks and everything that some of these bottom feeder teams got because they did load up on some players uh, or some draft capital for the players that were traded to the contenders. Um, but I don't want to focus too much on that and bore you guys with draft picks that are going to be four or five years down the road and probably won't be in the NHL um, you know, for another five, six years at least. Uh, but starting with the Metropolitan Division, um, the Carolina Hurricanes, best team in the division right now, um, just absolutely buzzing all year long. The Penguins have played them pretty tough. It's been it's been tough to play them. Um, they can score, they can skate, they can hit. They're one of the fastest teams in the NHL. Unbelievable power play. Um, they went out and they got Max Domi, who I was a little bit caught off guard by them picking him up, and they they picked him up I think like right at two fifty nine Eastern. The trade deadline's at three o'clock. So they just squeezed that one in. And honest to God, like I was shocked that they did that because Max Domi, I mean, he's the son of Ty Domi, the NHL goon, good friends with Mario Lemieux. I played for Toronto for a long time, probably most famously known for uh, being in Philadelphia. I believe he was a member of the Maple Leafs at this time. And um, he was in Philadelphia. He was in the penalty box and some guy uh, was heckling him. And Ty Domi stood up because at this point, the glass was short. The glass is much taller now, but the glass was short. He stood up in the penalty box and dumped his entire water bottle on this fan. And the fan got up on the glass. The glass caved in and he went into the penalty box, this fan. And Ty Domi, being the goon, being a fighter, being a, you know, a tough motherfucker, was just beating the shit out of this guy in the penalty box. Just He was just giving probably like 15, 16 rights in a row, just absolutely dummying this guy. And the guy ended up uh, suing, I think, and he ended up trying to get some money off of uh, Ty Domi. A big, long story. Ty Domi was on Spit and Chicklets talking about it, the podcast with Whitney and uh, Paul Bissonette and those boys. Check that out. It's a pretty cool interview. I don't want to go into too much of the specifics, but ba- basically that's what he's most well known for, um, that and, and being a goon. A funny, actually, uh, Ty Domi story that just popped into my head. I remember uh, when Sidney Crosby, I think he was a rookie or his second year, um, there was like a scrum, you know, there's scrums after the whistle all the time where well, there was a scrum and everybody in those like hockey scrums, they all grab a guy, right? Like unless there's a fight going, usually everybody like grabs each other, try to calm each other down. Um, so nothing, nothing really happens. And, um, 
in one of the scrums against the Maple Leafs. I think it was the Leafs at the time, but uh, Crosby like looked to his left, but, and then he like pushed to the right and he grabbed somebody right by the collar of their jersey, and he was like holding them. And uh, Crosby tells the story hilariously on like Inside Penguins Hockey or something, one of their Penn's TV shows uh, from back in like 2008, 2009. He tells the story, but um, he was like, "Yeah, I grabbed this guy." And I'm like, kind of like just holding on to him and I'm looking the other way. And all I hear is a guy say, or all Crosby hears is a guy say, you might not want to do that. And, and Sid's like, yeah, I turn my head and I look and it's Ty Domi. He's like, so I immediately just let his hand go or uh, let my hand like off his jersey and let him go. And Ty Domi said, smart choice, kid. Like <laughs> it's just stuff like that. Cause Ty Domi, man, he was a badass. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, at any rate, his son, Max Domi's kind of been like, floundering a bit in the NHL. He came into the NHL with uh, some scoring pedigree, obviously had some grit, some toughness, could fight, uh, similar to his dad. Um, honestly, I haven't seen him fight that much, but he's bounced around um, from team to team. He was in Montreal for a bit. He was in Arizona for a bit. Uh, he was in Columbus for a bit. Now he is in Carolina, and we'll see what happens there. I mean, like I said, they've got a great team. They've got a good nucleus with Sebastian Ajo and uh, leading the way, and their defensemen or the blue line is just unbelievable. But they've got a really strong team. Nito Niederreiter, uh, Tavo Teravainen, uh, just a great team. Marty Natchez. Like, they're they're a good team, and I'm not sure they need a Domi and maybe a guy that comes in and potentially screws up the chemistry a little bit. I'm sure they're willing to take the risk if he can add some sandpaper, add some grit as the uh, playoffs come on, because they're going to go up against teams like Pittsburgh who don't typically um, play well against teams that are you know big and heavy and have grit and sandpaper and a little bit of physicality. Um, you know, you're going to have to go up against the Rangers, Florida, a lot of teams that can play that big, heavy game. So it makes sense from that vantage point, but I'm not sure Max Domi would have been my choice if I was the Carolina Hurricanes, but can't really knock them right now. They're playing well, and they went to the, what was it, the Stanley Cup final or the Eastern Conference final a couple years ago in the bubble, and they've been one of the hottest teams in the National Hockey League over the last three or four years. Um, speaking of the New York Rangers, they loaded up. They got Andrew Kopp, the centerman from the um, Winnipeg Jets, uh, he was probably one of the biggest names on the market at the time uh, for the trade deadline. He's a great face-off man. He can play all four lines, can play on the power play in front of the net. Um, he's got good hands for net front presence. He's not typically like going to get you a ton of goals, but he plays. if he plays third, fourth line, he gets you 12 to 15 goals a year. You're pretty happy with that. Um, I think he, he's going to be a big acquisition that will really make an impact in the playoffs for that team. I mean, the Rangers, they got a lot to prove. I think they're probably like a year or two early, I would say, in terms of, you know, the expectations right now they have are winning the Stanley Cup, and that's probably because of their goaltender, Igor Shosturkin, who's probably going to win the Vezina Trophy and should win the Vezina Trophy and probably should be um, the Vezina Trophy is for the, the best goaltender in the NHL, for those that don't know. But he should also be a contender for the Hart Trophy, which is the most valuable player of the NHL in the regular season. So he probably won't be just because they look at the Vezina Trophy as the MVP for goalies. But honest to God, he's the most valuable player in the league to his team by far. Without Shesterkin, I'm not even sure where the Rangers are. I mean, they're probably still a playoff team, but maybe, maybe like a, you know, just like the, a wild card last seed looking to get in. Right now they're, you know, hunting down the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the Penguins are right on their heels for uh, the two spot in the, Metropolitan Division. On top of that, uh, they got Tyler Mott, decent player, decent depth player. Uh, I'm not really sure he's going to add too much, but they're going to add some some depth in case of any injuries, anything like that. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins, I mentioned they're in third place here, right behind the Rangers and Carolina for uh, the division lead. I think right now, as, as it stands, they're eight points behind the Hurricanes. Um, as I'm recording right now, I don't believe Carolina's playing tonight. Uh, so, 
they they have their eight points back, and the Penguins play the Colorado Avalanche on Tuesday night here. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to drop, but Tuesday this week depends. Play the Avalanche. They just played them over the weekend, lost three two in a hell of a game where I thought the Penguins really carried the play um, and played great. And unfortunately, they gave up the uh, go ahead goal twice after they tied the game within like 15 seconds of tying the game. So can't have that happen. But again, Colorado, best team in the National Hockey League. Um, just unbelievable to watch them. And boy, did they load up. We'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, but the Penguins went out and they got their their middle middle six winger. They needed uh, a winger for Evgeny Malkin, Ricard Raquel from the Anaheim Ducks. Um, just an unbelievable pickup, in my opinion. I know he's not like you know going to set the world on fire. You know, maybe like some people might have thought. You know, like you look back to the Penguins getting Marian Hossa in two thousand eight, uh, who's just you know going to come in and light the lamp immediately. Like Raquel can chip in some other ways. If you look at his advanced statistics, which I don't typically buy too much into, I honestly just don't don't care that much to look into him. Um, I just like the eye test, watching the games, and a little bit of analytics here and there. But his analytic numbers are great. He's great on the forecheck. He's much more physical than I remember him being. I mean, he's been laying the body. I know he's got some, you know, fresh, um, you know, fresh blood. He's out there just wants to, you know, make an impact on his new team and everything. I'm sure he's got a new lease on life coming from the Anaheim Ducks, who uh, we're going to miss the playoffs this year and kind of rebuilding with a young team to a team, a perennial contender, been in the playoffs every year since 2006, 2007, um, won three Stanley Cups, hungry for more. Uh, some people might think this is the last dance almost, the last hurrah for Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. Uh, I happen to think those three guys will be back. Obviously, Crosby will be back, but I think Letang and Malkin will both resign, and I do think Brian Rust and Ricard Raquel will also sign uh, with the Penguins, but we'll talk about that in the future. But that's what they needed. They needed somebody to come in to help Evgeny Malkin. Um, the Penguins, they're in big trouble if they don't get that scoring, that secondary scoring, that second line, the third line chipping in, Jeff Carter, Kasperi Kapanen's got to get going. Uh, Teddy Bluger in the bottom six got to chip in. I mean, Brian Boyle, the guy I think has 11 goals this year. He didn't even play in the NHL last year. He came in on a professional tryout, a PTO contract with the Penguins. And I remember all the whiny bitches on Twitter. Oh, my God, we got Brian Boyle. What are we doing trying to become the slowest team in the NHL? What a joke. Have you seen his analytics? Yeah, guess what? He has 11 goals as a fourth liner. He's been unbelievable. Great on the penalty kill. I think he's got a big playoff goal or two. That's going to mean a lot uh, coming in here as we get down the stretch and get into the playoffs. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Um you know he's been he's been around the block. He's been a Ranger. He's been a, uh, on the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's been on a bunch of teams. He's been around the block, and uh, I really like him. I'm excited for that. But that's a great pickup, honestly. And, and with Ricard Raquel, I got a shout out to my brother Steve. He told me this back in like November. He thinks the Penguins should go out and get Raquel. Um, I didn't even see him really on the radar. Uh, for the Penguins. I agreed with him at the time, you know, that'd be awesome to get him, but I just didn't see the Penguins having the capital to do it. And on top of that, like with the trade, they got Raquel, like I said, and they didn't give up their first round pick. They didn't give up their top two prospects uh, coming into the next, you know, uh, or I'm sorry, they didn't give up their first round pick in the next draft and they didn't give up their top two prospects and Nathan Legere and Sam Poulin. So you got to tip your cap to GM Ron Hextall and president of hockey ops, Brian Burke for doing a good job identifying a team need. Um, going out and getting it and not sacrificing too much of the future. Uh, I know they gave a, gave up Zach Aston Reese, Dominic Simone. Thank God. I know my buddy Ray will be uh, pumped for that. Got to get him on again soon. Um, but he hated Dominic Simone. Uh, so, you know, I think they did a great job. And I, I think um, they ended up giving up Callie Klang, I think is his name, or Cal Klang, the goaltender. Um, I believe that was that's who it is. I don't know if I'm having a mind blank right now. But he's a, a prospect goaltender. 
Um, pretty good prospect, but again, they got Tristan Jari, who's like what twenty five years old. So they their goal their goal crease is solidified for many years to come. They can afford to part with a with a prospect about the same age or maybe a year or two younger, in my opinion. Um, going over to the Washington Capitals, they got Marcus Johansson. Just recycling, just like the Steelers used to do. They go back and they bring back Larry Foote or they bring James Ferrier back to try to um, get the band back together. I mean, the Capitals, in my opinion, are going nowhere. Uh, going to the game this Saturday, hopefully the Penguins will pump their eyes shut. I'm excited for that. That's Saturday uh, afternoon on ESPN. So looking forward to, to going to see that game. But honestly, I don't think the the Capitals really, their, their management, I don't think they'd really think too much of their team this year. Uh, right now, I think the Capitals are honestly, for the next couple of years, are, are just going to sit sit on the, uh, or, or sit in the passenger seat and watch Ovechkin chase Gretzky's record, um, which I do believe he's going to break. Uh, I don't know how many, he, he's like third in the league in scoring right now. I think he's got 42 goals this year. So unbelievable what he's doing. I think he has eight 50 goal years. Um, I know they're talking about Leon Dreisaitl right now. We just got his 50th the other night for the second time in his career. Um, and Steven Stamkos has 50 goals in two seasons as well, but Ovechkin well ahead of those guys, but some young up and coming promising goal scorers, uh, coming down the pike in, here in the NHL. And, you know, it is rambling Bruce. So I want to jump over to that goal scoring real quick before we get back to the trade deadline. Cause I, I'm watching the, uh, Tampa Bay lightning play the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. It's four, two at the end of the second period, Maple Leafs. And holy shit, is Austin Matthews having himself a year? He's got 53 goals, two goals tonight, probably going to get the hat trick. And listen to this 46 goals in his last 47 games. Matthews has 46 goals in his last 47 games. Just unbelievable pace, what he's doing right now. You love to see it. And if you look at his career uh, trajectory, I think through his first 269 games, if you match that to Ovechkin's first 269, so that's how many games Matthews has played so far in his career, he's only 20 goals off the pace of what um, Alex Ovechkin was. And Alex Ovechkin, I think the, the next three years after that, now there were some lockouts and stuff in there and some injuries, but he only had uh, in the 30s the next three years. So if you look at it, say say Matthews gets 50 again or 60, he could get 60 this year. Say he gets 50 next year, 40, 45, 50 the following year. I mean, he could be right there. I know it's still early. He's still super young, obviously. But holy shit, we could be watching him potentially uh, chasing down the grade eight once the grade eight knocks 99's record off. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that would just be hilarious if Ovechkin breaks Gretzky's record and then like 10 years later, Austin Matthews breaks his. It would be pretty funny. I'm sure Canadians would love it uh, that, that a Russian wouldn't have the the league, the uh, all-time goal lead in the National Hockey League. But I digress from that. But again, the Capitals going nowhere fast. Uh, the Atlantic Division. So I'm going through the the top teams in each division. So forgive me if I skipped your jabroni team in the Metro. Uh, the Atlantic team, uh, or the Atlantic division, I should say, of Florida. They went out and got Claude Giroux from the Philadelphia Flyers. Honest to God, didn't think they needed him. I really, I mean, he's been good. He's he's contributed. You know, I think he's got six or seven uh, points in his first couple games. Uh, playing great um, so far. So he's proven me wrong, but honestly, I think they just have such a deep team that they didn't need him. And they kind of remind me of the 2013 Pittsburgh Penguins who went out and got Jerome McGinla, Brendan Morrow, and brought in all these outside guys, uh, because you know, you didn't, they just go out there collecting hockey cards, essentially. I mean, you kind of screw up the chemistry of your team. Like I talked about with Carolina, maybe doing with a guy like Max Domi is kind of what I see with Florida. And honestly, I mean, I think they're going to, they're going to have trouble 
to me in the first round. I know they've been unbelievable all year, but their goaltending is a big question mark. You got Sergei Bobrovsky, who usually uh, is a piece of Swiss cheese in the postseason. The Penguins dummied him a couple times. Um, you know, he's he's really struggled. Uh, in the in the postseason, he's been great in the regular season. He's won a Vezina Trophy before in his career, so he has the caliber. He's got the pedigree. He's a good goaltender, but he usually comes up small in the playoffs. Can he prove people wrong this year? Can he prove me wrong this year? I don't know. They've got Spencer Knight as another option in goal. He's a young player. I think he's in his second year. Um, hell of a prospect. He had a great great year last year um, in his rookie season. And honest to God, I don't know. I don't know what what he could bring if he goes in to fill Bobrovsky's shoes. Bobrovsky's making ten sheets a year. If he doesn't deliver now, my God, they got to get him out of there. And who's going to take that contract? Who knows? But, uh, you know, they also went and they gave up like a first rounder for Ben Sherrod, a depth defenseman who's decent from the Montreal Canadiens. I'm not sure it's worth a first rounder, but maybe they wanted to solidify that back end. Uh, because honestly, I think the other, the, the other problem for Florida is their top defenseman, Aaron Ekblad. He's out with an injury. He's projected to be back in the first round of the playoffs, but. You know, you're not going to come back 100%. Nobody's 100% at that point of the season, especially coming off um, of a pretty significant leg injury, I believe it is. And he's likely not going to get any time in the regular season because they're probably cap-strapped. Again, similar to Vegas and, and what Tampa did last year, like I said, they probably want him to sit out to the playoffs where the salary cap goes away because they might be over the salary cap if he comes back before the end of the season. I'll have to check uh, capfriendly.com for that. Uh, great source for for all your cap questions and things like that. They're they're pretty awesome. All the different contact uh, or contract information, I should say. Um, but I, again, I just didn't see the whole point of giving up a first rounder for Ben Sherrod. I mean, you look at you look at what the Penguins got for Raquel, uh, or they gave up for Raquel. The Ducks got you know a borderline player in Zach Aston Reese. He's a solid penalty killer, a solid defensive two way forward, especially if you look at his analytics. And Dominic Simone, who should be playing in the in the AHL. And then a you know a, a draft pick, not a first rounder. So and Ricard Raquel is a ten times better player than Ben Sherrod. I know Sherrod fills a need, I guess, for them, but Raquel fills a need for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he's got two goals in his first three games as a Penguin. So I'm pretty excited um, for that pickup from the Penguins' perspective. Um, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I talked about them. They're playing Toronto right now. Toronto right on their heels for the division. Uh, Tampa Bay went out, and I have no idea how Julianne Breezebois, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, is able to, you know, whoever their capologist is over there that's able to make these deals and just squeeze under the salary cap by, like, thousands of dollars. I mean, the salary cap's $81.5 million, and they squeeze under it by, like, hundreds of dollars, like thousands of dollars. It's pretty insane what they're able to do. But they went out. They got Brandon Hagel from the, the Blackhawks, good young player. Um, Nick Paul, they added some some depth is what they, really what they needed to do. They lost their entire third line last year from their back-to-back Stanley Cup champion winning teams um, in Barkley Goudreau, Yanni Gord, and Blake Coleman. Uh, so the, what they're trying to do is kind of recreate that third line, and they're doing a good job. They're a scary team. I would not want to see them, especially with Andre Vasilevsky and Net. you got to think him and Igor Shesterkin are two, the top two goaltenders in the NHL. Um, right now, but I wouldn't bet against Andre Vasilevsky again in, in anything. I mean, he's been unbelievable the last two years and he won two Stanley Cups. He never lost back to back games in the playoffs, which is ridiculous. Um, but that team is pretty much loaded again. And look out, uh, Toronto, they went out and they, they again, they collect hockey cards. That's what they want to do. They went out and they got the big fish defenseman, Mark Giordano, a big name, I should say. I wouldn't say he's the big fish. I'm not sure how many teams are really in on him. He's the, uh, he won a Norris Trophy a few years ago, which was surprising. He was like in his mid-30s when he won his first Norris Trophy. I believe he was undrafted. He's had a Hall of Fame career, hell of a player. 
Um, but he was in Calgary, their captain for a long time. They exposed him in the expansion draft. He was selected by Seattle and Seattle flipped him uh, to Toronto as they flipped just about everybody else on their roster. I think I want to say Seattle has like 12 picks in this upcoming draft and like three or four first rounders. I mean, if they do a good job with their, their draft picks, you know, they might be a wagon in the, in a couple of years. They're not, they're not going to go with the Vegas model. I don't think anybody expected them to do that. And I've covered that on this podcast before, but honestly, you got to tip your cap um, and give a swig of beer. And I'm going to take a swig of Coors Light. I can't drink this Bud Light next. I'm sorry, Troy. But you got to give a swig of beer and tip your cap to Ron Francis, the ex-Pittsburgh Penguin Stanley Cup champion. My Aunt Mary loved Ron Francis, had like 10 of his autographs, just thought he was the best-looking guy in the world. And he's a good-looking cat, I will say, but... Honestly, you got to tip your cap for what the job he's doing up there in Seattle. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to to build something strong up there. It'll be good for the National Hockey League, and what a market that is. Um, they also went out and got Colin Blackwell. The Maple Leafs did. They they tried to get Mark Andre Fleury because <laughs> Jack Campbell, their goaltender, and Peter Morazic had a, a great start to the season. Jack Campbell was an All Star, and then after the All Star game, he fell off the face of the earth. Peter Morazic can't stay healthy. Has never really been able to find the game he had when he was in Carolina. Um, Carolina looks just absolutely brilliant for letting those guys go. Letting Alex Nedeljkovic. I was critical of that trade when it happened, and Peter Morazic go. Nedeljkovic to the Red Wings. Morazic to the Maple Leafs, and they got Freddie Anderson, the old Maple Leafs goaltender. He got out of Toronto. He got out of that media hellhole. And he is having an unbelievable season. I knew he would. He's my fantasy goaltender, even though I'm in 10th place. But we don't need to talk about that. But they try to get Marc-Andre Fleury. They want to uh, you know, solidify their, their goal crease, see what they can do. And it, it was funny because it came out like he wasn't. they, they weren't going to make the trade. And then um, I guess the, the Blackhawks GM released it to the media and like told you know the media that they were trying to trade Fleury to the Maple Leafs, which really kind of sewered uh, Kyle Dubas, who's the GM for the Maple Leafs, to his goaltender because you're like trying to instow um, or you know, bestow confidence on uh, Jack Campbell, you know, and, and get his game back and everything. But and on the other side, you're just, you're doing your due diligence and the business side of things, and you're trying to improve your goaltending, and you don't really want your goalie to know you're doing that or anybody on your team to know you're doing that. Uh, but especially a goaltender, if it's not going to actually happen. So tough, uh, tough pill to swallow there for Kyle Dubas. I'm sure it was an awkward conversation because you're like, yeah, we're going to bring this guy in. He's better than you. But oh no, it didn't work. So never mind. We we still like you. We think you're good enough to win us the Stanley Cup. Newsflash: They ain't winning the Stanley Cup. I'll be shocked if they win a round. Um, so <laughs> you know, the funniest thing too about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now that I see this, uh, I'm just remembering. So. They signed a Finnish goaltender, obviously with their goalie debacle I've been talking about. Um, I believe he just won like the World Juniors or he won some tournament. I can't remember if the World Juniors or the Olympics or whatever the case was. Um, but they just signed him and they were like, oh, yeah, we might play him. But since they signed him and it was something with this contract, if he wasn't able to play right away, he had to go through waivers in order to get, you know, get be able to get signed. Right. So. He, he got claimed off of waivers, I believe, by the Arizona Coyotes. And Kyle Dubas was pretty much furious. I mean, he didn't say anything as part of the process, but he kind of insinuated that teams have it out against the Maple Leafs because they've lost double as many as any other team has to waivers in the last two years. Like, they just lose so many guys to waivers. And, 
you know, if you don't know what that means, basically there's certain guys in their contract in order to send them down to the minor leagues, or, you know, if you want to sign them at certain points in the season, whatever the case is, if they're international players or a certain age, they have to clear waivers before they can go to that team. So for instance, I'll give the example of sending somebody down to the AHL. Like if they wanted, if they had this uh, player, say the Penguins had a player, Joe Schmo, and they wanted to send him down to the minor leagues, but he had a contract that he only had a one-way contract, which means he has to clear waivers. You go on, they put you on waivers and they're going to send you to the minors, but you sit on waivers for 24 hours and there's every team in the league has an opportunity to claim him based on the waiver priority. I can't really explain to you how the waiver priority works. You could probably look at, like I said, capfriendly.com could probably tell you it's just too complicated for me to even explain it. I honestly don't even really understand it uh, or really care to understand it. But basically every team has an option to pick them up if they're going to keep him on the NHL team. So he doesn't have to go down to the minor leagues. So that's what I mean here with Toronto. They've lost double as many guys to waivers as anybody else in the NHL has over the last two years, which is pretty funny. You can't help but just laugh at the Toronto Maple Leafs if you ask me, but uh, the last team in the Atlantic Division that really has any chance to make any noise in the playoffs is the Boston Bruins. They went out and signed Hampus Lindholm, young stud defenseman from the Anaheim Ducks, gave him an eight-year contract, I think about $46, $47 million over eight years, which I thought was pretty wild uh, but but affordable for the for the Bruins they have they have a nice salary cap structure with some of their guys taking less money um, he's a good defenseman but he hadn't yet played a game uh, with the Bruins and they gave him that big contract but through the first five six games he's played with them he's playing with the stud Charlie McAvoy and Norris Trophy candidate and they look unbelievable um, so a great pickup uh, for the Boston Bruins and they're going to be a tough out for sure especially in that side of the division if they can get up into the two three seed right now they're in the wild card spot um, potentially going up against the Carolina Hurricanes in the first round. We'll get to some potential matchups here in a second as they stand right now. Uh, the Central Division, I mentioned the Colorado Avalanche. They loaded up. They went out and got Arteri Lekkonen, um, you know, some depth piece for the uh, from the Montreal Canadiens. I'm not sure how much impact he's going to have, but a good piece to get nonetheless in case there's any injuries. They've been decimated by injuries all year and still have 104 points right now where I stand um, today recording the podcast. And they are first in the NHL, as I mentioned, in, in the standings. Uh, they got Andrew Cogliano for some depth, uh, bottom six scoring. At one point, he had the Ironman streak, I believe. Uh, the active Ironman streak in the NHL for most consecutive games played, uh, but actually got a pretty questionable suspension. Um, And I'm not sure if I talked about it on the podcast or not. I can't remember if it was before I had this podcast, but at any rate, he got a questionable suspension on kind of like a a little bit of a cheap hit, but he had no prior history or anything like that. And it cost him his Ironman streak. Uh, Pretty tough to see that. And speaking of Ironman streaks, you got to pour one out or take a sip for Keith Yandel. He got health bombed, healthy scratched by the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I think he had played 989 straight NHL games. He's a defenseman. I mean, you're blocking shots, taking puck off the instep. I took a puck off the instep in my beer league game the other day. My foot was ballooned up the size of a baseball. And for God's sakes, this dude is playing in the National Hockey League. The guy that hit me with a shot had a muffin. It's going like 17 miles per hour and it still hurt. So I tip my cap, swig of beer to Keith Yandel, 989 straight games. The Flyers said they want to get young guys to play. Uh, it's so Philly. I understand he probably should have been scratched years ago. Uh, when he was in Florida, he wasn't very good. I mean, this year he's played 65 games. He's got one goal. He's a minus 39. <laughs> For crying out loud. Brutal stats. Always been an offensive-minded guy. He's kind of lost his wheels a little bit. The last couple of years he's getting a little bit older, but still... 
you feel bad for the guy, honestly, because Philadelphia is going nowhere. And if you ask me, I understand you want to get your guys in there. Your young guys, the guys out of college, they're just signing now as the college seasons are ending and junior seasons are ending. They're coming in to play the last few games in the NHL to kind of get some experience for next year, see what you got. Uh, I get that. I totally get it. But the Flyers are like four points away from having the worst record in the National Hockey League and potentially getting the number one pick in the draft which could really change their fortunes. And I hope for God's sakes, it doesn't happen. I hope they just miss out and they get some stooge prospect who stinks and any other five prospects around their pick turn out to be studs. Um, but honestly, like you would think if, if he's so bad, why not keep him in there? He's in dash 39. Maybe he'll be dash 50 by the end of the season and you got a better draft pick. Why not? I mean, that's the way the system's set up. You have more chance at winning the lottery, the worst record you have. So, But I just think it's so Philadelphia to screw this guy. 989 games. I mean, Phil Kessel now has the current Ironman streak. I'm not sure exactly what his um, streak is at. But basically, he had a baby the other day, and um, they, they were in Minnesota. His wife was given birth that day. It was scheduled. They flew him to Minnesota. He played one shift in the first period. Then he left the ice. I mean, the Coyotes are dog shit anyway, so they weren't going to win. doesn't matter. And they're going to be playing in front of 5,000 fans next year at Arizona State because they can't get their arena uh, figured out. And over the next three years, they're going to play at Arizona State. But I digress from that. But they're a much better organization in terms of that because they know they're going to lose. They want to get draft positioning. But they do right by their guy in Phil Kessel. They got a PJ private jet, flew him back to Arizona so he could be there with his um, wife to, to have, or his fiance to have the baby. And uh, congratulations to Phil Kessel, by the way. Nice guy, tries hard, loves the game. I always love Phil Kessel. Brought two Stanley Cups to Pittsburgh. Always have a special place in my heart for for Phil. Um, but honestly, I mean, people always say, like, it defies strength and conditioning coaches' minds and the laws of physics that this guy that eats nothing but cookies and hot dogs and cake and just barely works out is played is now the active leader in the NHL for Ironman um, most games consecutively played because he did play that one shift in the game and then the, they flew him back. Uh, so it counts as a game. I mean, some people are a little bit ticked off about that because it, but he played one shift. If he would have played one shift and got hurt, it still would have counted as a game. So uh, tip my cap to Phil Kessel, but just hilarious what the Philadelphia Flyers are doing to Keith Yandel. Um, not saying he doesn't deserve to be scratched based on his play, but Philadelphia is like not in any position to bench people because they're playing bad because their whole team is just garbage. Um, and uh, the last player I want to mention with the Avalanches, they got Josh Manson, uh, a, a good physical defenseman from Anaheim. Like I said, Anaheim, they pretty much l let everybody go between Lindholm, Manson, and Ricard Raquel. They got a bright young future. Trevor Zegras, Troy Terry at 32 goals this year, I believe. Um, caused a little bit of a controversy the other night. Uh, Trevor Zegras doing the Michigan goal again in an empty net and then trying to pickle stab the goalie up 5 nothing. Uh, caused a little bit of a fight with Jay Beagle. Uh, Troy Terry got his face caved in by Jay Beagle. I guess the Coyotes and Tyson Nash, their uh, commentator, weren't super thrilled uh, with what they called guys skilling up the game. They want to see more goonery, I guess, and it's not surprising when goons say that. The only thing Jay Beagle's ever done of any significance, in my opinion, I was at the game when he got his face and his jaw smashed in by um, Aaron Asham, who then did the lights-out taunt. You can look it up. It happened in 2013, I think. It was my buddy Connor's first NHL game I ever took him to against the Capitals. And uh, 
he did like the nighty night symbol after he knocked him out and got suspended a couple games for that. But that's the only thing I can remember Jay Beagle doing. Um, but that's the, the that's the mentality some of these guys have, and they were beating up on some of the skill guys for Anaheim uh, because they were kind of doing some skill moves and, and different tricks and things like that with the puck. Um, I guess that's just the the way the game is and, and the way it's always going to be. I guess. Um, so again, Colorado loaded up. They're already the best team in the NHL. They added some depth. Um, just a great, great, great trade deadline for Joe Sackick, their general manager, if you ask me. Also one of my favorite players of all time. I got my Joe Sackick jersey sitting right next to me right now, actually. Um, Minnesota. So I mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury potentially going to Toronto. Uh-uh. He went to Minnesota, uh, rejoins Ray Shiro, who was the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins for their Stanley Cup win in 2009. Um, played an integral role in, in Fleury's career. He came on after Craig Patrick set the team up for success by drafting, um, you know, Flurry, drafting Crosby, drafting Malkin, drafting Latang, drafting Stahl, um, set them up for success. And Ray Shiro comes in, Bill Guerin, who was his teammate in uh, Pittsburgh for the 09 Cup, um, and also was a, a, an assistant general manager for the Penguins during their 16 and 17 Stanley Cups, um, is the general manager now for Minnesota. So he reunites with them. He goes in and joins Cam Talbot, who's having a hell of a season. They got a great, great goaltending tandem now. Um, the coolest thing about Minnesota is the first game Flurry played, they won and, uh, people were throwing bouquets of flowers on the ice. So it's pretty cool to see Flurry do that. And I know I've been hard on Flurry on the podcast, off the podcast, uh, to buddies and stuff like that. I do admire Mark Andre Flurry. He's the best goaltender in Penguins history. Um, really not even close if you ask me. And what made it even better was the Washington Capitals were trying and trying and trying to get Marc-Andre Fleury. They wanted to solidify their goal crease, and Fleury wouldn't waive his no-trade clause to go there. And he basically said it just didn't feel right. I, I've had so many playoff battles against the Washington Capitals, and the Penguins may end up playing the Capitals this year in the playoffs. You never know. Uh, it just didn't feel right. So even when he goes to Vegas, Chicago, now Minnesota, he's still a Pittsburgher at heart. He's still a Yinzer at heart, so you love to see that. Swig of beer for Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm going to lose my voice. It's been a long time since I've talked uh, this long. Um, my wife would probably tell you different. I never shut up. Um, <clears throat> so moving on to the uh, St. Louis Blues, they added much-needed left-handed defenseman help. They got Nick Letty from um, Detroit and uh, Oscar Sunquist, which I was surprised. Oscar Sunquist was a Pittsburgh Penguins draft pick. He was traded over to St. Louis in the Ryan Reeves trade a couple years back. And uh, he goes over to Detroit, and I thought he was a pretty integral piece to their their team winning the Stanley Cup in 2019. Um, but they needed some help on the blue line, and Nick Letty brings that. He brings some experience coming from Chicago, uh, where they, he had some success. Uh, he had some success in New York with the Islanders, and then with Detroit, kind of rebuilding a little bit. So nothing too crazy there for St. Louis, but I think a pretty good trade uh, for Doug Armstrong and, and that team, the general manager there. And really, the the team that's in the playoffs, Nashville. I mean, they stood pat. They really didn't do anything. Uh, I think they were in on a couple guys, but nothing of significance. Um, and, and really, you know, didn't get much done. And they've got some pending under restricted free agents. We'll talk about here as the season winds down uh, that they might potentially just lose for nothing. So I'm not sure what David Poyle's doing. The general manager down there, he's been there for a long time. Um, never won a Stanley Cup. Came close, but ran into the buzz saw that is the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2017. 
Um, so I, I look for Nashville to struggle. I mean, they've got UC Soros, one of the best goaltenders in the NHL right now. He replaced Pekka Rene, who finally retired, had his jersey retired this year. A great career for him. Uh, but the, the goal crease, at least in Nashville, looks bright with UC Soros going forward. Uh, but they've got some guys to, to get signed up with uh, Philip Forsberg, and, and they've got some holes to fill, I think. Um, but Roman Yossi, I got I to gotta talk about him for a second. This guy, their defenseman, he might win the Norris Trophy this year and probably should. Him, him and Kale McCarr from uh, Colorado are going to be the, the top two guys for it. And honestly, I think Chris Letang could, could be the third person um, that finishes as a finalist. I don't think he'll win. He's having a hell of a season, one of the best seasons he's ever had. Um, obviously, in a contract year, it helps to, to play really, really well. You can get a big ticket. Um, but Roman Yossi, I can't say enough about this guy. 81 points in 66 games. He's on pace for 100 points the last time I looked. I don't know if the math checks out now. I haven't seen his, his point totals over the last couple of games, but at one point he was on pace for 100 points as a defenseman to become the first defenseman in the NHL to get 100 points since 1992 when Brian Leach did it for the New York Rangers. Now in the 80s, this shit used to happen all the time, 70s, but you know, in the era in the 90s and 2000s, it's almost unheard of. I mean, Eric Carlson, I think, may have had a point a game. 83, 84 points in 82 games a couple years ago, which was pretty unbelievable then. But for Roman Yossi, a guy that's like in his early 30s, later in his career, to be having the offensive output that he's having this year, also the best uh, guy at lugging the puck in the NHL in terms of you look at his own entry numbers and his analytics, unbelievable at doing that. It's crazy to see what he's doing at this age, and now he's adding the points in. I mean, I think he's got like 13 or 14 goals, which is a lot for a defenseman in the National Hockey League. And like I said, he's on pace for 100 points. I hope he gets there. It'll be pretty cool. Swig a beer for Roman Yossi. What a boss he is, too. The last division I want to talk about uh, with regard to the trade deadline is the Pacific Division. Calgary, best team in the in the Pacific right now. Unbelievable to watch. Just so much fun to watch. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau having a hell of a season. Um, Matthew Kachuk having a great season. Both those guys are up for contracts this year. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau, I mean, I think ninety four percent of his points or something like that are coming um, even strength. I mean, he's just he's having a hell of a season. Uh, going to get a huge payday. I don't know how they're going to keep both those guys. They've got Jacob Markstrom, who they stole from. Uh, Vancouver and Edmonton wanted him. Boy, could the Oilers use him right now in the goal crease. Having a Vezina-type season as well, and he'll probably be right there with Vasilevsky and Igor Shesterkin. Those will be the three finalists, I think, for the Vezina Trophy, if you ask me. Um, but they got Tyler Toffoli earlier in the year from the Montreal Canadiens. You know, a couple weeks before the trade deadline came in, had an immediate impact. They also picked up uh, Kelly Yarncroft from Seattle, um, for some draft capital. So add a little bit of depth there. I know the Penguins were in on Cal Yarncroft. He played for the Predators a couple years back when the Penguins played them in the Stanley Cup final. He's a good depth piece. He can add a little bit of secondary scoring, good penalty killer, hell of a four-checker. So good pickup for Calgary. I like what their team's doing right now. Um, the LA Kings, they really didn't do too much. I was a little surprised by that. Uh, but they remind me of the 06-07 Penguins a little bit. Maybe not the top-tier talent and the pedigree that the Penguins had that year with Crosby, Malkin, those guys kind of coming into their prime. But they're about a year or two away, I think, from really making any noise. And I'm really surprised they're even making the playoffs. And Jonathan Quick um, and Cal Peterson are having a hell of a season outside of Jonathan Quick losing his jock completely in the shootout the other night against Connor McDavid. But he does that to a lot of goalies. But honestly, the Kings pretty much stood pat, didn't do too much. I think Kings fans are happy about that. They don't want to lose too much draft capital and don't want to lose any of their young prospects. Really, in a year, they're probably not going to do too much. They'll probably be first round and out. Uh, but still, pretty awesome to make the playoffs for them. Um, the Oilers, tail of two seasons, started off hot as hell. 
McDavid, Drysaddle lighting the world on fire. They kind of tapered off a little bit, but tapering off to them is still Drysaddle sitting at like 53 goals, or what, 51 goals, 52 assists, something like that. I mean, over 100 points already. So is McDavid. He's at 105 right now as I'm recording this through, um, I think, 67 games, something like that. Um, so it's 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 nuts what these guys are doing. And uh, it's pretty just crazy that they're, they're still kind of just barely going to get in the playoffs. They're a wild card team right now. They went out and got Evander Kane. I've talked about Evander Kane a lot on the podcast in recent um, episodes. I know they're not super recent, obviously. But uh, going back, you know, a couple months now, he had some gambling issues, some potential sexual assault cases, things like that. I think a lot of that's been resolved. Um, and he was able to sign with the Edmonton Oilers. And he's playing on Connor McDavid's wing. Left wing, he came in. He added some scoring. He's played really well for them. Um, you got to be happy if you're an Oilers fan getting Kane. Um, aside from what you think about him off the ice, just strictly on ice speaking, he's been as advertised. And he's making like a million and a half bucks. I mean, he's not making any money really on the cap compared to what some of the other guys make. And he's producing. Um, but they're so top heavy. This team, they have no depth scoring. Uh, their goaltending is atrocious. I think they're round one and done and they're probably going to get matched up, um, maybe against the Calgary flame. So I, that would be awesome. I, give me inject that right into my veins, a battle of Alberta, one of the biggest rivalries in the national hockey league, Calgary versus Edmonton. It will be a bloodbath. It will be awesome to watch two high flying teams, but Calgary's head and shoulders better than the Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid better win a playoff series and the Oilers better hope they win a playoff series or two or get on a little bit of a run or him and Dreisaitl are going to be trying to get the hell out of town. I wouldn't blame him one bit. I actually kind of hope they do. Um, Before I get into Vegas, so I, I want to take a swig of beer because my voice is getting a little raspy. And just because I wanted to take a swig of beer. I might crack this, uh, this sour monkey. I lied. I know it's Monday night, but sour beers are delicious. Uh, I know I've been hard on Vegas. I'm, I'm not a big Vegas guy. Never really liked them. Um, a lot of it stemmed from they had early success and their fans just acted like, you know, they were, they were just so entitled and so annoying. And like, they were complaining. I think there was a poll after like three years that they were like some poll on some jabroni site, you know, rated them as like one of the most disappointed franchises or something like that. Or one of the franchises that like their fans are just dying for a championship and they haven't got one and they've been suffering or whatever. Like what? They've been in the league for like 15 minutes. How could they possibly be suffering? I mean, there's teams out there that have been in the league for so long. I mean, the flyers, God, please let this streak go at least till the, my last day on this earth. The flyers have not won a Stanley cup in 47 years. And this year we're the first team. I believe, to be mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. I may be wrong on that. They might not have been the first team, but they were one of the first couple teams, and I absolutely loved it. It's just unbelievable to watch such an inept franchise. And what they're going to do this summer is they're going to go out and they're going to give 8 $9 million to a guy like Nazem Kadri, who's having, an, having a career season in Colorado, but he's playing with some studs. And they're going to give him a ton of money, and he's going to go to Philadelphia, and he's going to be playing with jabronis, and he's going to stink. And it's going to be unbelievably hilarious and satisfying. I cannot wait to see that happen. But that's kind of how I felt about Vegas. I got a little bit upset with them. I just didn't like them. I, too much success early on. It went to their heads. I didn't like it. you know. And maybe I'm just a, you know, a stooge for thinking that. But that's how I was from day one. And a lot of it also had to do with the fact that there were so many Penguin fans that like instantly became Golden Knights fans because they wanted the root for Marc-Andre Fleury, even though three years prior they were booing the shit out of him whenever he was getting replaced by Thomas Vokun in the playoffs and really letting the Penguins down. I don't want to get all into that. I do love Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm just saying it really pissed me off about the Vegas thing, as you can probably tell by the tone of my voice. But they have 
pretty much in a short period of time, the Vegas Golden Knights have established a reputation as being just horrible to their players, just not treating them well. I mean, look at Flurry. He he was told he wouldn't be traded. They traded him. He didn't even get the courtesy of them <laughs> them telling him. He found out on on Twitter, I believe, or social media. Somebody told him. Uh, it's happened a couple times. A couple different guys have made mention of that. Um, in this case, Evgeny Dadinov, great player, uh, Russian player. He played uh, in Florida. He played in Ottawa, and then ultimately he got traded to Vegas, uh, I believe, last year. And when he got traded to Vegas, he had a no-trade clause. But Ottawa, being the stooge franchise that they are, they allegedly, this is what Vegas is saying. Again, this is what Vegas is saying. So take it with a grain of salt, whatever you want to say. But they said that Ottawa did not tell them or did not report to them that Dadnoff had a no-trade clause. So whenever they got him, they, they were under the impression that he could be traded to any team. So this past trade deadline, they traded him to Anaheim. And the trade was finalized. It got processed by the league somehow. I have no idea how it got processed by the league with this happening. But basically, he was like, yo, I'm not going to Anaheim. They're on my no trade list. So like, basically, if you don't know what that means, it's it depends on each contractor, each guy that has it. It's either like eight teams you'll, you won't go to, 12 teams, 16 teams, whatever the case is. It depends on how your contract is structured when you sign it. It used to be like when you got traded, you couldn't carry your no trade clause to the next team, but since the most recent collective bargaining agreement, you're able to carry it forward now with you. But there's like no central registry for it, so the league's not really aware of it. Uh, they're aware that you have one. They're not really aware of the teams. Basically, the team and the player are the only people that know. Like his current team are the only people that know who's on that list, which kind of makes sense. You don't want other teams to know. Like, you know, Tim doesn't want to go play for Philadelphia or doesn't want to play for Columbus, Washington. Like, you don't want the other teams to know because, like, in the future, you potentially might change your mind or there might be an opportunity that's the only opportunity available so players don't players and agents don't want other teams knowing that and understandably so but in this case like the nhl you know dadnoff and his agent were like yo we're not going like they're on our no trade list what the hell's going on here so they did some investigating they found out that he actually did submit his no trade clause list on time um that was required by his contract so basically the you know the next day the nhl was like hey you can't no, this trade is nullified. You have to go back to Vegas, which I believe puts them over the salary cap if some of their injured players come back. So there's a, they're at a little bit of a dilemma because they may have to just hold some of their players out till the end of the season when the salary cap goes away once the playoff starts. Problem is, they might not make the playoffs. They're in a big, big uh, heap of trouble right now. Their goaltending is not not looking good. Laurent Brossois has been brutal this year. Um, they're they're uh, they have a young minor leaguer. I can't remember his name. It's escaping me right now. But he's he's struggling. But he's still young. And Robin Leonard, who they chose to uh, keep over Mark Andre Fleury, has been banged up in and out of the lineup, inconsistent when he's in the lineup. Um, so honestly, I think they made the wrong decision uh, by not trading Robin Leonard and, and keeping Mark Andre Fleury. But that ship has sailed now. Um, but pretty crazy, like what what happened to Dadnoff, and he came back. Uh, got to be awkward for him. You were traded. They wanted to trade you. They got a guy. They announced it. They put it on, you know, um, Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. And then he has to come back. Uh, he was second in the team or on the team in goals when he got traded. He had uh, 17 goals, 15 assists, 32 points in 65 games. Pretty solid season for the caliber player he is. And he came back, uh, scored two goals, I believe, in his first game back, including the overtime winner. So maybe scoring uh, will heal all the wounds. But, you know, you got to feel for Evgeny Dadnoff, and you got to just think, Vegas, what a scumbag franchise. Sip a beer for Dadnoff.
Just a real quick note on the uh, cap circumvention that I talked about earlier. I just want to mention, you know, Vegas, like I said, they may have to hold guys out of the lineup uh, and wait for the salary cap to go away. Tampa Bay did that last year with Nikita Kucherov. Allegedly, they say they didn't, but he was skating with the team for two, three months before the end of the season came back. And I think he had a hat trick in his first playoff game, if I remember correctly. Had a hell of a playoff and they won the Stanley Cup. Um the NHL general managers right now are assessing this. I guess they had a GM meeting. They'll have more meetings as the rest of the season goes on and the summer goes on. And they're really trying to determine what they should do with long-term injury reserve. Um, it has to go through the CBA, meaning the players have to agree on it. But basically, you know, the argument is maybe they should bring back the salary cap for the playoffs to prevent teams from doing this. When you have a, a big-time injury, you know, say, you know, like, for instance, uh, Kucherov being now, it saved the – Lightning $9.5 million that year on the cap. And since he's going to come back in the playoffs, they essentially can go out and sign $9.5 million worth of guys to be on their team for the regular season. And then the cap goes away and you add Kucherov back to the lineup and you're essentially $10 million over the salary cap for the playoffs. And $9.5 million is a lot of money. I mean, if you can get a superstar player or you can get like two or three good depth guys, and that's what Tampa Bay did. Credit to them. They didn't really... Um, break the rules. They bended them a little bit, I would say, but other teams have done that. And it's funny because um, Chicago did that with Patrick Kane back in 2015 and Tampa Bay was one of the teams. There was two teams. I can't remember the other team, but they were, they were one of the teams that voted to actually uh, close that loophole at the time. And the other uh, franchises voted not to. Um, so <laughs> Tampa Bay really can't, you really can't fault Tampa Bay, uh, but Vegas seems to be doing the same thing this year with Mark Stone being out. They have Pacioretty out. They've got a bunch of guys out. Robin Leonard, their goalie I mentioned is out. They got Jack Eichel at 10 million a year when they got him from Buffalo. Um, so they're going to be really significantly over the salary cap if they do make the playoffs, if all those guys return. So it's, it's a question that the NHL is trying to assess right now. The players association, everything has to deal with. My opinion is, I, I mean, it's the way it is. Every team can take advantage of it. You know, you really can't knock Tampa Bay. Like do the Tampa Bay, do they really want Nikita Kucherov coming off 128 point season to miss the whole season? Like they're just that good. They're an anomaly that they were able to make the playoffs and win the Stanley cup without having their best player for all 82 games. You know what I'm saying? Like for him to come in and dominate, I feel like that's rare, but that's, you know, if a team wants to keep their best player out, it just seems odd. I know the NHL is kind of trying to crack down on it. If they think your guy's ready to go and maybe getting some independent doctors or something like that, but it's interesting. Uh, We'll see what comes of that. I I have no idea where that's going to go or if that's even going to change. Um, some other notes from around the NHL. I just want to mention Sidney Crosby. Uh, he tied Gordie Howe for 17 seasons um, in an NHL career where he's at least a point per game, so he has more points than he has games played each year. He's two seasons away from the NHL record, which is Wayne Gretzky, at 19 seasons. Uh, he has 1,396 points uh, in 1,096 games, um, 511 goals, 885 assists, four points away from 1,400. I think he's two points behind Alex Ovechkin, and he's played about 157 or 160 less games than Ovechkin. I know I've touted that on the podcast before, but still an unbelievable stat if you ask me. One of the best moments of my life uh, from the last time I had a podcast on until now, uh, my wife and I went to the Penguins versus Flyers game where Sidney Crosby got his 500th goal. 
Um, honest to God, man, it was it was emotional for sure. Just being a Penguins fan my whole life, following Sidney Crosby, you know, since he entered the NHL all the way up to now. Um, one of my favorite hockey players, you know, just one of the most awesome people in all of sports. One of the best superstars, if not the best superstar in terms of how humble he is, how awesome of a guy he is, how friendly he is, things like that, and just how productive he's been. All the pressure that was on him. He was labeled the next one behind Gretzky uh, when he was like 14 years old. Very similar to LeBron James, but LeBron James has a much different, more arrogant personality uh, than Sidney Crosby. He's not an arrogant bone in Sidney Crosby's body. Um, but it, it was really awesome. I knew he was going to get it in, against Philadelphia. It was fitting. Obviously, Evgeny Malkin got the assist. It's just crazy how things like that happen. Um, and that's why people like me and you guys pay to watch these games, and we watch them religiously in all sports. It's just awesome what the superstars in sports are able to do and, and how they're able to impact just everyday people's lives and make it better. I mean, it's been awesome. It's been, I've had so much enjoyment watching the Pittsburgh Penguins over my life. Um, obviously a lot of, a lot of disappointments and a lot of anger and things like that too. You just get so heavily invested, but I truly appreciate watching Sidney Crosby play. I think everybody should. I know, uh, I harp on Ovechkin. I've harped on Tom Brady and stuff in the past, but you really got to appreciate the greats right now where we're in the air where we get to watch them in their prime. We'll get to sit back and talk to our kids and our grandkids and stuff like that. And say, you know what? I watched Sidney Crosby play live hundreds of times. I watched Evgeny Malkin. I watched Ovechkin. I watched Tom Brady. I watched LeBron James, um, Kevin Durant, like Kobe Bryant. Like it's unreal the era that we, you know, are in right now and the era that I've grown up in from being just a little kid to being a 31 year old man right now. So, you know, Sidney Crosby's just having a hell of a season too. I mean, he's 72 points right now, uh, since November 16th when he returned. Basically, best in the league. I think he's third in the league in that point, uh, or that span. Um, but significantly older than the other guys, McDavid and, and Jonathan Huberdeau that are above him. Just, just crazy what he's able to do. Um, you know, 47% of the games this year he's played, he's had two or more points, just unbelievable. And again, I know I mentioned my buddy Troy a lot on this podcast. He did give me the Bud Light next. He also told me that uh, the, the Penguins weren't going to do anything this year because they were a geriatric squad, nursing home level squad. All the old guys are done. And uh, right now, he's going to be eating some crow a little bit. We haven't done anything in the playoffs yet. The Penguins haven't. But Sidney Crosby's having a hell of a year. Evgeny Malkin's having a hell of a season. Uh, 17 goals in 32 games for Evgeny Malkin since returning from injury. Reminder, it wasn't just an injury. It was an ACL tear that was surgically repaired. Just an absolute horse the other night against the Minnesota Wild. Now playing with Raquel. He's on a 44-goal pace um, over 82 games. Like I said, 17 goals, 18 assists, 35 points in 32 games this season. So Crosby, Malkin, unbelievable years. I told you Chris Letang might be a Norris Trophy candidate. Tristan Jari bouncing back, all-star level goalie, just like I said he would be. Uh, probably going to be... You know, he's probably the Penguins MVP right now, I'd say. He's 33 wins, 14 losses, 6 overtime losses, 2.33 goals against, 921 save percentage. Like I said, he's the all-star that I predicted. Uh, he's got to make up for last year's playoffs. I think he will. I think they're a better team structure, better team defensively. Um, and I think if they can get some decent goaltending, just like they would have got decent goaltending last year, they would have made it to the second round. I think this year they will make it to the second round of the playoffs. And then anything can happen. You never know what the matchup's going to be. There are some teams that are better than them. I will say that on paper. Um, but nothing beats experience. And I would never, ever, 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 ever bet against number 87. So swig of beer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Giving it another go at it here as a Stanley Cup contender. Going to make it number four, hopefully. That'll make it a hell of a summer. And it'll be a nice, uh, exciting couple months for me. I cannot wait. Swig of beer for that. <sighs> 
The last thing with regard to hockey I want to talk about is uh, the potential matchups I mentioned coming into the playoffs. We're going to break this down over the next couple episodes as the season winds down here. But uh, we got right now, if the season ended today, it would be uh, Carolina versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. It would be the New York Rangers versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. It would be the Florida Panthers versus the Washington Capitals and the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Boston Bruins. My God, I'm not going to give my picks because obviously they're not set in stone yet. Uh, but some some scary matchups for teams, um, including the Penguins. I mean, they're going to go up, like I said, against the best, you know, arguably the best goaltender in the NHL right now or second best for sure. Igor Shesterkin reminds me a lot of um, what happened in the 2010 playoffs when they ran into Yaroslav Halak. I mean, that year the Devils were unbelievable. Um, the uh, Washington Capitals were great. Both those teams lost. I thought the Penguins were going straight to make it three, st- three straight Stanley Cup final appearances and hopefully back-to-back wins. They ran into Yaroslav Halak. Had a hell of a season. Still playing that guy. He's still pretty good. Um, surprised he didn't get moved at the deadline. I think he's in Vancouver right now. He spent a lot of time over in um, New York. Uh, struggled a little bit in Vancouver, but he could have been a depth piece. I wouldn't have minded the Penguins trying to get him. I, I could have seen them getting a depth goaltender. I, w- I really wish they would have done so. I don't trust Casey DeSmith at all if Tristan Jari falters in the playoffs. Um, and then you look at Toronto and Boston. Oh, boy. Boston is like the big brother to Toronto. And if Toronto loses again to Boston, heads are going to roll in Toronto. Uh, I mean, they can't get out of the first round. Haven't been out of the first round since 2004. Haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. Um, Boston just has their number, and I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Honestly, I, you know, I don't hate Toronto as much um, as I used to. You know, I love Austin Matthews. Like I mentioned, he's just having a hell of a year, hell of a career so far. I'd like to see him get some meaningful playoff time, just like I said with McDavid. Uh, but you got to beat, you got to beat Boston. And the way these division playoffs are set up where you play your division opponents and you might have one of the best records in the NHL, but you don't get matched up against the bottom seed. That's just the way it goes, and everybody has to deal with it. The Penguins won the Stanley Cup going through uh, the one seed and the two seed, uh, or sorry, the one seed and the three seed in the conference uh, back in 2016. So it happens. Um, or 2017, I'm sorry. Uh, it happens. You got to do it. You got to beat who's there. You can't complain about your matchup. If you want a better matchup, win your division. And they're not going to win their division as Florida is just unreal right now. And there's seven points up on them as I'm recording this. Um, in the West, you got Colorado versus Dallas or Vegas. Uh, one of those teams is probably just going to get dummied by Colorado. As Daryl Sutter, the coach for the Calgary Flames, said, if you get matched up against Colorado in the playoffs, it's just going to be a waste of eight days because you're going to get swept and it's not going to be a fun time. Pretty funny to hear a coach say that. Uh, I'm sure it's just a little bit of reverse psychology trying to get his boys fired up. I don't think Calgary is going to get matched up against Colorado, at least early. They certainly won't. Um, but, uh, you know, Colorado, I think they're going to dummy either Dallas or Vegas. Neither one of those teams really stand a chance, in my opinion. I'd like to see Vegas get it. It'd be a better series. Uh, Calgary and Nashville would be the matchup right now. Uh, Minnesota, St. Louis, and then LA Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. So some intriguing matchups. Um, I like the Eastern matchups better. I think there's more history, more storylines there. Uh, but we'll see more to come on that. And, uh, you know, like like I said, we're winding down. I can't wait. I'm just going to be you know crushing some beers. Weather's warming up. It's a little bit later this year uh, for the playoffs. I'm so, 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 so excited. I cannot wait to watch. Uh, so swig a beer for the playoffs, the National Hockey League. I hope you guys are fired up as much as I am. The last thing I want to talk about on this podcast uh, this week is WrestleMania 38, a two-nighter 
Uh, it's been two nights, I think, the last couple of years ever since the pandemic, and it's pretty awesome what they do. I mean, the show that WWE puts on every year, uh, they prove why they're the main show. I mean, they're the big dogs. They're the big leagues. I know AEW's had a successful couple of years now. They're obviously still in the infancy of their promotion, um, and having some big names come in there. And I love to get my buddy Jeff Lewis on. He works over at AEW. Uh, maybe he can get Doc Sampson on. He's been in both places. I've talked about him on the podcast before and talk a little AEW. I'm going to have my buddy Ray on here pretty soon, as I said before. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into some wrestling talk there. But, uh, you know, WWE, WrestleMania every year um, is just always, always a great, great event. And this year was one of the best WrestleManias I've ever seen in terms of entertainment. I've had some of my buddies that just don't like wrestling that are just like, it's so cringe. I don't know how you like this, blah, 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 blah. My thing is, if you could sit down and watch that, you know, it's it's like six hours Saturday, six hours Sunday. It's a lot of wrestling, uh, a lot of filler segments and things like that. WWE does the best vignettes in the in, in anything really, like all the storylines and build up videos before each match. They're incredible at it. But if you can't sit there and watch that and be entertained at all, I mean, I, to me, there's something wrong with you, and I just don't understand how anybody. I'm not saying you got to be a diehard fan. Like I, I just I don't know. I mean, some of the matchups were awesome. I got to start with Pat McAfee. Got to start with McAfee. I've talked about him before. Uh, the pride of West Virginia. He got a match. Um, he He's the commentator for SmackDown now. Uh, every Friday night live. Everybody hated him at the beginning, like the wrestling community, all the fans. But he's one of the best uh, announcers. Like, he's just so funny. He's unapologetically himself. They pretty much, you know, and he's mentioned it. They pretty much just let him react naturally they don't really tell him anything that's going to happen in terms of the storylines the results of the matches he gets up on the table he's dancing he's animated he's standing up he's just he's a breath of fresh air he's one of the best things that best things that's happened to wrestling in a very long time if you ask me i think anybody that knows pat he's got a very um you know infectious personality he's just always happy go lucky always in a good mood really humble knows that he he always says it like it's so stupid to be at the point in life where he is coming from his background, you know, not even being a punter in college to being an all pro all decade team NFL punter. He wins at everything he does. It's awesome. And you just love to see it. You feel so happy for the guy. Uh, he got to live somebody like me and a lot of kids dream at WrestleMania uh, Sunday night where he got to take on Austin Theory in a match. An up-and-coming talent, 24 years old, handpicked by Vince McMahon, who uh, was in Austin Theory's corner for this match. They had a great build-up to the to the uh, match throughout the last couple months. Some interactions on SmackDown with McAfee being a uh, an announcer where Austin Theory would attack him or throw water on him or something to get in his face. McAfee jump up, cost Theory a match. Uh, stuff like that, trading little barbs online or trading barbs and promos, things like that. It was, it was really built up well, I thought, and uh, believable. And I saw McAfee wrestle at NXT. I talked about it on on previous episodes, and he did great. Uh, Jim Cornette, one of my favorite guys, one of the best bi- uh, minds in the wrestling business. Very, very polarizing guy. A lot of people hate him, especially AEW fans. But you got to respect him. He's one of the best managers and best bookers in uh, wrestling history has a great podcast, uh, the Jim Cornette experience and Jim Cornette's drive through. Um, pretty interesting to listen to. I, I always love it. And he's just hilarious. He's, he's, he's the best talker probably of all time. He could talk out, talk anybody and it's just incredible, but he always says, and he's one of the biggest wrestling historians there ever was that Pat McAfee may have the best wrestling debut ever. 
like just in terms of never having a match other than being on TV. He did a little bit of training with Rip Rogers, another wrestling legend, but being able to do what he did on the biggest stage. Now you look at it at WrestleMania, 77,000 people in the stands, basically like his third match in WWE. The previous two had no fans in the stands during the pandemic, I might add. So first time in front of a live crowd, gets an unbelievable entrance. Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, they're playing Seven Nation Army. The stadium's just going banana lands. Like, it was it was awesome, man. It sent chills down your spine just uh, thinking about how cool that is because he got to live the dream. Like, kids like me and everybody that watched wrestling growing up um, got to be in WrestleMania. He got to be in a match with Austin Theory. It was a hell of a match. He ended up pulling off the victory. Um then Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, 76 years old, still looks as chiseled as ever, comes in the ring. He's talking trash to McAfee. They're talking trash back and forth. They have a match um, where Austin Theory kind of double teams uh, McAfee, beats him up, and they end up, um, Vince McMahon <laughs> ends up pinning uh, Pat McAfee, which to me I thought was crazy. I mean, I understand it. Like, it's funny to see McMahon wrestle and go over. And obviously, he didn't win clean. It was a cheap win because Austin Theory interfered. And he had a match right after McAfee had just had a 20-minute match with Austin Theory. Um, But I thought it buried Austin Theory, to be honest with you. I just didn't understand why they would do that. Like, McAfee beat him, which in and of itself is kind of a bad look because Theory's a full-time wrestler. And McAfee being a hell of an athlete um, and doing what he's doing with limited training and limited experience and Austin theory having limited experience. I think a lot of people have a misconception about wrestling. They think it's choreographed. It's not. I mean, some matches are, and some guys aren't good enough that they have to choreograph everything. And you could tell it's choreographed. You know, everybody's hitting their spot in the right time. You see it a lot in like fatal four way matches or triple threat matches where people are just laying outside the ring and then they randomly show up for their spot to take a finishing move or something like that. That's where you see it a lot, but like where, McAfee and Austin Theory, I mean, they're pretty much just, I'm not saying they're calling it in the ring, but they're not, it's not choreographed. And guys are really, you know, they know the business. They understand the psychology of it, what to do, how to pace yourself. It's very impressive. And for people to kind of sit there and be like, ah, oh, this is just corny. I can't believe they're just grabbing some podcast guy or, you know, they're, they're, you know, grabbing some celebrity, blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, and I get it. Not everybody, you know, is, is as into wrestling, I guess, as I am. I don't really watch it religiously, but I know a lot about it and follow it. It's very impressive what he's been able to do. And I just didn't get why they would bury Austin Theory. Like he, he lost to McAfee and then Vince McMahon, 76 years old, pins McAfee immediately after. Kind of makes Austin Theory look like a jabroni, if you ask me. Um, I understand. Yeah, it's all fake. It's all bullshit, blah, 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 blah. I got it. But the guys, in order for it to be like at least somewhat legitimate in terms of entertaining people, people have to believe that this guy could beat this guy. Well, if you can't beat McAfee, who just got beat by a 76-year-old guy, how am I ever going to take you seriously against a full-time wrestler? Like, what if he wrestles Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar? Who the hell's going to believe that he could actually win? You kind of feel for theory there, but he'll take his paycheck, his big uh, WrestleMania payoff, and you can't blame him. But then they're about to celebrate... And sure as shit, Stone Cold Steve Austin's music hits. Who the night before, uh, he had his last match, which wasn't billed as a match. It was billed more as a confrontation with Kevin Owens on a talk show format. Um, and he took some some hellacious bumps. He took a suplex on the concrete. He's 57 years old. Hit a couple stunners. Uh, got stunned himself as Kevin Owens uses the stunner for his finishing move. And uh, it was awesome. Just such nostalgia. 
and I loved every second of it. Stone Cold during the match against Kevin Owens was drinking beer, his new Broken Skull lager. I can't wait to try that. Uh, I love the Broken Skull IPA. It's the only IPA in the world I actually like. Um, probably biased because Stone Cold's the man, but uh, you know he <laughs> he he was drinking beer during the match. You know he was after the match he won. Obviously he was chugging beers. I mean he might have put down like 30 beers that night, but I, obviously he's getting a lot of it all over the ring. He's throwing it around. He's tossing beers to the cameraman, stuff like that, having a good time. You could tell he was just enjoying himself. And he never really got that send-off match because he had some health issues um, at WrestleMania 19 just before the match against The Rock. Uh, I think really only Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and The Rock knew it was his last match. Even the referee and a lot of guys in the locker room didn't know it was his last match. But he just had you know, a run-down body and just knew in his head it was time to ride off under the sunset, as he would say. So it was pretty awesome for being a lifelong Stone Cold fan and WWF fan to be able to see Stone Cold get a proper send-off, albeit a slow-paced snail match. But he's 57 years old. He got his spots in. He got his beer in. He got his stunners in. He got his um, you know, middle fingers, all that shit. His, his whole gimmick in, it was awesome to see. But fast forward, like I said, to the next night, and Austin comes down because McMahon's celebrating after he just beat up uh, Pat McAfee. And they, he's talking to McMahon. They're talking about sharing a beer or whatever. He beats the shit out of Austin Theory, stuns him. And he's sharing a beer with McMahon. McMahon sips the Broken Skull IP, or broken skull Lager. And he's like, yes, yeah, it's pretty good. They both take a big swig. You know it's coming. Bang. They try to go for the stunner. One of the worst stunners I've ever seen. But you can't really fault Vince McMahon. The guy's 76 years old. He just actually wrestled a match. Um, <laughs> but like he... Austin kicked him. It kind of looked like he kicked him in the nuts. So if you ever seen the stunner, he kicks him in the gut. So the guy bends over and then he stuns him on his shoulder. If you haven't seen the stunner, shame on you for six weeks if you've never seen a Stone Cold stunner. But honestly, it was one of the worst stunners ever because McMahon kind of stumbled backwards. He fell into the rope. Uh, Stone Cold tried to grab him again. McMahon kind of stumbled back and then McMahon kind of just fell over as Stone Cold was stunning him. And uh, dude, it was it was awesome. Even if he botched it, like he's 76 years old, the nostalgia was there. And then the best part, and like I was saying with McAfee getting to live out my childhood dream, he gets to go in the ring and do the Stone Cold Steve Austin beers with Stone Cold Steve Austin in the ring. They do it. They share a bunch of beers. And then sure as shit, you knew it was coming. And one of the best sells of all time, if you ask me, he hits McAfee with the stunner. And just so awesome. I, if Stone Cold could stun me, I'd have him stun me every day. It'd be awesome, dude. It would just be an honor to be stunned by him. But, dude, it was it was pretty sick. And McAfee said the next day, like, none of that was planned. Uh, Austin kind of just called that on the fly. Like, come on in, have a beer with me. Um, you know, when he got stunned, he rolled out of the ring. Austin <laughs> tossed him a beer, and then they cut to him. <laughs> and McAfee, just being a true yinzer, is just passed out on the ground, his eyes closed, just chugging this beer. Like, as he's, you know, he's just selling the stunner. It was an awesome time. Um, just an unbelievable moment at WrestleMania. I really loved it. So swig a beer for Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm going to crack another Coors Light. And swig a beer for uh, Pat McAfee living out his childhood dream. Uh, just having a hell of a match at WrestleMania. I could see him. If he wanted to do it full time, I have no doubt he'd be one of the best guys in the business. And seeing the reaction for him, the crowd was so over for him. Um, you know, you got to feel so happy for Pat McAfee because he really deserves it. What a guy. And uh, shout to him and Stone Cold. Let's crack another one, eh? A couple other matches I wanted to point out. I liked, um, you know, I talked about Austin, obviously, wrestling Kevin Owens. That was great. Um, Cody Rhodes made his return, which is pretty significant. Like I said, I want to talk with Jeff Lewis, my buddy, and uh, 
and um, Ray and, and talk about how uh, Cody Rhodes is one of the like basically the founding four people with Kenny Omega and uh, the Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson, in finding AEW, the alternative to WWE, All Elite Wrestling, which is on TNT Wednesdays, Friday nights, I believe it's on TBS. Uh, I think actually Wednesdays it's on TBS now because the NHL is on TNT with Biz Nasty and those boys, Rick Tockett, Anson Carter, Wayne Gretzky, Liam McHugh, and it's a great show. It's very similar to the Inside the NBA show that uh, Shaq and Barkley and Ernie Johnson and, and uh, Kenny Smith do. Uh, great, great entertainment, but he was like one of the founding members of that, and he was really hard on WWE when he left. Um, he had a lawsuit with WWE where they were using Dusty Rhodes' name, which is his father, a wrestling legend. He ended up winning the rights to the Rhodes name. Uh, was able to use his his uh, his own name because WWE technically, I guess, owns that intellectual property, or they did at the time. Um, he had an entrance at one of the AEW pay-per-views where he kind of had a big throne that looked like the thrones that Triple H used to come out on, and Triple H was the, um, and still is, the, the chief operating officer of WWE. Um, unfortunately, you know, he has to retire, you know, had some health issues, um, really, really bad, um, Recently and just most recently retired and left his boots in the ring at WrestleMania, which was pretty awesome. Another great moment. But he he bat, Cody Rhodes bashed uh, one of those thrones and kind of a symbolism type of shot at WWE that, you know, I, I'm here now and you can't hold me down anymore type thing. So pretty crazy. But Cody Rhodes made his debut back at WWE and said, you know, basically that's where he wanted to be. It was a simple, easy decision to go back. He wants to win the world title just like his dad did. Um and he had a match with Seth Rollins, who I don't really understand Seth Rollins' gimmick. I actually hate it, uh, but he's a hell of a wrestler. He's a great guy. Uh, saw him on McAfee uh, recently, and I think when he was at the Super Bowl on, on Media Row, there uh, they were in um, WWE was in LA as well. So they had a bunch of wrestlers on. It was pretty cool. Uh, I, I liked him a lot, um, but I just don't like his gimmick. I liked him a lot better when he, when he was in the Shield. But they had a hell of a match. A great, great match. Two unbelievable workers. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Cody Rhodes getting a W, uh, getting to use his AEW ring attire, his ring music, uh, or I'm sorry, his entrance music and his ring name, the, the American Nightmare, because his dad was the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. He's the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. So it was pretty cool, a pretty cool moment for him. I, he came out on Monday Night Raw the next night, had a nice speech, uh, tearful speech about his dad and how he, he kind of wanted to to get back to WWE, uh, wants to win the world title. When he was there the first time, he was kind of like a, a a jabroni mid-carder. Um, so he, he he's more of a mainstream main, main event guy now based on his run in AEW, and I think he's going to get that chance in, in WWE. I think if he, if he wasn't, he wouldn't have came over from AEW, I don't think. Um, another match, which was pretty crazy. And another outsider guy like that, you know, everybody hates Logan Paul and Jake Paul, but these guys, I mean, I saw Jake Paul, like I read an article on Forbes magazine or something. He, he made $40 million last year in boxing and made another 60 million in investments. So something he's doing is right. And I know people don't like it and people think it's bad for boxing. Uh, my buddies that are at the two beers podcast, you know, they're not too fond of him cause they're big time boxing, uh, purists and they love boxing and, you know, they talk about it every week. It's a hell of a podcast. If you guys listen, like listening to it uh, about boxing, definitely check it out. But, uh, you know, those guys, something they're doing something right in terms of promo because Logan Paul wrestled at WrestleMania and he had a hell of a match. He was doing some unbelievable stuff. Great conditioning. He has a great look. He's like 6'5". Um, you know, he's big. He's cut. And he was doing, you know, fucking moonsaults off the top rope. 
You know, he's doing all kinds of stuff, like just really making it look like he's a natural. And he was a, a wrestler in high school, as was his brother. So he's got some experience there. And those guys tend to always have, um, you know, not always, but they have a, a an upper hand, I guess, on, on some of the guys that, that come in with limited experience or maybe no wrestling back, background. Um, but I thought his match was awesome. It was him and the Miz, the the real world guy, uh, who's made a name for himself. Like him or or hate him, I'm kind of indifferent on the Miz. But they wrestled Rey Mysterio, who's a legend, and his son Dominic Mysterio. Um, in a, in a tag team match, they ended up getting the win. It was pretty crazy. And the the weirdest thing was uh, Logan Paul came out with a gold chain on that's worth like 800 grand or something like that. And then inside the gold chain was a Pokemon card that he paid $5.25 million for. It's the most expensive Pokemon card. The only Pokemon card of that kind in the world. He had to fly to Dubai from what I read to convince this guy over a five month negotiating process for this guy to sell it to him. But he came walking out with that on his neck. Uh, just pretty crazy and, and arrogant and awesome. Like he has the perfect look. I'm not saying he'd be a good WWE wrestler full time, but he's got like the, everybody already hates him. So he's, he's a natural heel. He's got the facial expressions. He's arrogant. Um, you know, just the way he acts like, but he, in real life, he seems like a pretty humble guy. Um, he's had some, some ups and downs throughout his, you know, social media rise and things like that. You can look up to, uh, look up. I don't want to get into it. Um, but you know, it's pretty cool to see that definitely a, a fun, uh, fun match for him at WrestleMania. And honestly, like, just the whole event. It's just top, top notch, upper class, just, just, just everything about it. WWE does everything right. Like I said, their vignettes, their, the stadium looked awesome. It was at Jerry World in Dallas. Uh, two nights selling that place out is just unbelievable. Uh, pretty cool what happened. I mean, I'm sure there's some matches I'm missing. It was a long time. I was chugging beers with my buddy Troy Saturday night. Um, or he was chugging Bud Light next and I was chugging beers, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Sunday night was awesome. I was just sitting there smiling ear to ear, watching Stone Cold, stunning McMahon, stunning McAfee, chugging beers. Um, the last match of the night was, was, uh, one match I had a little bit of a gripe with, but two main event stars, Brock Lesnar, who I used to not really like Brock Lesnar. I uh, saw him in an interview recently. If you have a chance to go watch it on the Pat McAfee show, he does about 45, 50 minutes. Um, just an awesome guy, just, just a pure, awesome guy. Uh, Brock Lesnar is he talks about his UFC rise, you know, obviously talks about WWE, the differences, uh, his upbringing, things like that. He made me really like him as a guy. And I like his current gimmick where he's like the cowboy, um, cowboy Brock with the cowboy hat and a little ponytail and things like that. And he's wearing the big belt buckle. I mean, that's really who he is. He lives on 5,000 acres in Saskatchewan. He's from South Dakota, uh, national champion, college wrestler, uh, has his own uh, seasoning out, like his own uh, meat rub seasoning, which apparently is unbelievable from everything I've seen and I've read. Definitely want to try that out with the Bearded Butchers, I believe, on YouTube. He has that with. Uh, but he wrestled Roman Reigns, who's had a hell of a run the last two years. He actually has, uh, and I know that people are laughing, yeah, it's staged, it's fixed, blah, blah, blah. But he hasn't been booked to lose by uh, tap out, submission, or pinfall in over two years. He's obviously the top draw in the in the business, in the company, both of them have titles, won the universal title, won the WWE heavyweight championship. It was a unification match. And, um, Roman Reigns came out on top, beat Brock Lesnar in the match. Um, Lesnar had him in a Kimura lock, which is a, like a UFC hold. Obviously I don't think he has him in the legit one. Cause if he did, he had to break his arm, but he did pop uh Roman Reigns shoulder out of his place. And uh, Reigns had to pop it back in. I think that might have cut the match a little bit short. I haven't seen too much on it, but it kind of looked like they cut it short. But my big gripe, like I said, with those matches is Roman Reigns 
all of his matches are just finisher after finisher after finisher after finisher. He doesn't really do like any moves or any like anything other than spears and Superman punches the whole time. That's all he does. And it kind of gets old. And I think it kind of like it makes him look worse, to be honest, because it'll take him like five, six of his finishing moves to beat a guy. And then you look at other guys on the card, you know, I mean, Austin, obviously he's he's a legend, but he hit one stunner on Kevin Owens and, and wins. So one finisher, like your finisher is a finisher. There shouldn't be so many false finishes all the time, especially when you're hitting. You can't hit your guy. You can't hit the guy with eight or nine finishers in a match and then win. And then it's supposed to be some like devastating move. Like, again, it's back to the psychology. It's back to this making sense. I understand it's predetermined. I understand it's not real. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it's just that that's the that's the one thing that really kind of irked me about that match. And shit, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. The last thing I mentioned on WrestleMania was um, one of the funniest things I've seen in a very long time. It was Johnny Knoxville, the jackass guy, versus Sami Zayn. In just an absolute gong show of a match. They had trash cans, stop signs, mouse traps. Uh, they had a table with mouse traps all over it. Um, they had like a you know electric, you know, it zapped Zam- Sami Zayn got it like partially electrocuted at one point. Um he crawled under the ring to try to grab a weapon and Wee Man came out. Uh Wee Man body slammed Sami Zayn, looked like uh Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. Just unreal what happened. And Chris Pontius, the party boy. If you guys remember the party boy, oh my God, he came out and he had like a, he had like ripped jeans as a thong on. You know, he used to get in the underwear and just party boy random people. Like he'd go up and like start bumping into him and, and dancing with his hands in the air and the jackass back in the day. He was doing that uh, to Sami Zayn throughout the match. It was awesome. Just such a nostalgic moment. Uh, really enjoyed it. And Johnny Knoxville ended up getting the win because he, um, <laughs> they kind of botched it, but it was funny. He, he like pinned down, uh, Sami Zayn in a giant mousetrap. I mean, they had like a little mechanism that, uh, kicked Sami Zayn in the balls. He fell down in the corner with his legs spread open and Johnny Knoxville threw a bowling ball, hit him in the balls. Like it was just, it was like one big jackass segment, but it was funny. It fit. Uh, Knoxville's the man. Um, and I thought he did a good job, you know, obviously for not being a wrestler and he can't see shit without his goggles. Obviously his goggles kept falling off and he'd be like supposed to be passed out cause he got hit with something and he'd have to like find his goggles. So the referee would be helping him put him back on. He was bleeding. It was a hell of a match. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, swig of beer, obviously for WrestleMania, everybody did great. Um, I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen anybody that really knows anything about wrestling say anything negative about it unless you're an AEW stand and everything, you, you know, they, WWE does you don't like, but if you're, um, a wrestling fan, whether casual or not, I think you'd definitely enjoy it. Go check it out on Peacock. Um, and you can still watch it now. It's awesome. And you can like jump through timestamps if you want to skip some matches. I definitely advise watching Stone Cold and Kevin Owens and then the next night watching the McAfee match. Those are the top two for me, but I'm biased. I love both those guys. So swig of beer for everybody involved. Swig of beer for WrestleMania. Um, it honestly makes me kind of want to get back into wrestling again. So swig of beer for that. One of the last things I want to mention this week on the podcast is uh, the Masters is coming up. The Masters Golf Tournament, best golf tournament in the world. I absolutely love watching it. It's so exciting watching it all weekend, really, but on Masters Sunday, it's brilliant. Um, And Tiger Woods, fresh off of that horrible car accident last year, um, almost cost him his career, almost cost him his life. Um, He's back, and he's playing, and I can't be happier to see it. I saw his practice round, uh, some some pictures and some footage, and man, the whole course was packed. For a practice round, it was packed. 
I can't imagine the eruption he's going to get when he comes out on the first tee on Thursday. Uh, people are just happy to see him golfing again. A lot of golf uh, analysts and stuff have said he hasn't lost any speed. He looks great. He's piping his driver, uh, putting well. So I'm hoping that he gets another major here, wins the Masters. It would be an awesome comeback story for Tiger, who's had a couple of those comeback stories. I think, you know, he was on top of the world forever, and then he was down, obviously, uh, with everything that happened. And then he was back up. He won his major again. Now he could potentially still chase Jack Nicholas. I don't think he'll catch him. Uh, just based on some of the injuries and obviously the massive car accident, but just awesome to see him out there. So swig of beer for Tiger Woods, swig of beer for the game of golf. I'm sure they're fucking thrilled to have him back for ratings. I uh, can't wait to watch the Masters this weekend. Let's get Tiger a W. With that being said, have a hell of a week. I'm glad to be back. I'm sorry if I let you down over the last couple months. I'll try not to let it happen again. Let me know anybody you want me to have on the podcast. Let me know if anybody out there uh, potentially wants to, um, you know, be a producer, anything like that. Let me know. I'm I'm open to any options. And one thing I forgot to mention is if anybody out there, speaking of Logan Paul and his Pokemon card, I have all my Pokemon card collection. I have no idea if any of them are worth a shit, but I have Charizards, I got Chanseys, I got Japanese Gyaradoses, I got Raichus, I got a bunch of cards, and uh, it brought back a lot of memories going through that, but uh, if anybody out there, my dog right now is about to hack up a lung, if you're going to hear that, he's over here, there you go, you alright buddy? You alright? He's good, King's good, King's good, if everybody's concerned about him, shout out to King, but anybody out there that has any idea about uh, any Pokemon cards, how I can get them appraised, anything like that, I'd really appreciate it, And uh, with that being said, have a hell of a week. And remember, if I don't see y'all around here, I'll see y'all around. Here.